Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. You're listening to the End of the Dust podcast, hosted by Joe Moore, presented by Belly is Parts. Join today's episode, Andrew Kelly. Hey everyone, it's Ryan from No Credentials Required to talk to you about one of our newest partners at Belly Up Sports, SeatGeek. Yeah, live sports is great on television, but the feeling of being at the arena is a priceless experience. That's why our friends at SeatGeek are there to help you find the best tickets at the best prices. Not only can you get tickets to sporting events, but you can also get tickets to concerts, comedy shows, musicals, and more. Search for your desired event now at SeatGeek.com, enter promo code BELLYUPSPORTS at checkout, and you save 20 bucks off your first purchase. SeatGeek. Life's an event. We have the tickets. So how are you doing today? I'm great, thank you, Joe. I am, uh, I've just made myself a cup of tea. It is 6.15 here in the UK, PM. Uh, the dog is asleep on the floor next to me with a Christmas Grinch, which is completely the wrong toy for this time of year, but he, he doesn't know that. And uh, and I'm all right. You know what? I'm enjoying a few. I'm enjoying a few weeks of not being away. So the, the work thing never stops, really, when you're when you're self-employed like I am. But um, you know, the Rally X Nordic season has finished. Uh, Extreme was a couple of weekends ago. So yeah, I'm I'm good. I'm having I'm having a little recharge before we hit the end of uh, hit the end of 2023. How are you? I'm doing all right. Uh, I'm just glad this is finally getting done after like six months of playing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry, mate. It's it's. Uh, I think I'm, I'm. I really. I try really hard to respond to people when they when they come to me for ideas and stuff they want to do, and, and particularly if I want to do it and I fancy doing this. But every time we got round to it, I was like, I can't. More work's coming, so I just have to keep bouncing it. So, hence the break. I promised you I'd be here. I'm here, so I'm a, I'm a man of my word. <laughs> we we've only been talking about this since like March, so. Oh, yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Yeah. What a lot of people probably don't realize is you did rally during the early 2000s. How did you get into rally? So I actually started terrifyingly in the late 90s. So I had, um, I was, I loved, I loved motorsport. So I always used to watch Formula One with my dad. We're talking, you know, Mansell, Senna era. Um, and we we went and watched some rally cross up at Browns Hatch, which is the famous UK circuit that's around an hour from where I live. And there was a brilliant event there called the Rally Cross Grand Prix. And that was the first thing I saw, which was Will Gollop in a Metro 6R4, Pat Duran, Liam's dad in a, an RS200. Speaking like that, because that's how Pat speaks. Um, and uh, it was brilliant. It was the Group B cars were competing in that after they'd been banned from rally. I loved it. Then there was a rally south of London, which is pretty rare. Like most of the rallies in the UK... The big rallies are up in the forest, so they're you know they're either up Kilda, Scotland Way, or over in Wales. And and Dad was like, you know what, we'll go and see this rally. It was called the London International Rally. It only ran once, and the first two cars on the road were Malcolm Wilson and Harry Vatnan in the Michelin uh, Pilot, the famous livery Escort Cosworths. And I was just hooked straight away. It, it just looked awesome. Um, there were some stages up at Brooklands, the famous old racetrack, which like twenty years later I ended up working out as an instructor, um, and. It was, yeah, that was, I mean, that wasn't when I first started competing, but that sort of, you know, that, that interest in motorsport really hooked the idea that I was into it. If I'm honest, once I passed my driving test, which actually was 30 years ago, two days ago, you're giving away my age here, um, I passed when I was 17 and 
I was probably driving a bit too fast. If truth be told, you know, like most young lads do, uh, luckily I had a slow car, so I didn't really get myself in any trouble. And I always chose places that were sensible. Like I never, I wasn't a, we call them rude boys in the UK. You know, we'd, I wouldn't do cruises. I didn't go around town. You know, I'd take my car out to some country lane. I'd write pace notes with my mate. and We'd go up and down the lane all night. Um, you know, when you could see if there was stuff coming the other way. But looking back, I can see that that wasn't the greatest life decisions. Luckily, my parents, I think, could see it too. And they bought me a day at a rally school for my 19th birthday. Um, and I drove a Mark II Escort, a yellow Mark II Escort on that day on the loose. First time on, on dirt, first time in a rear-wheel drive car. Um, I won the day at the rally school quite easily. And my instructor was a guy called Chris Munnings, who is Katie Munnings' dad. At the time, Katie Munnings you know, was but a, a star in his eye. Um, and Chris was my instructor, and I said to him, I didn't know anything. I was just like, look, I really want to get into this. What do I do? And he said, you've got some some good driving talent. He said, you need seat time. Go and buy a rally car. So that was what I did. Um, I went and bought a rally car with my mate Tim Slattery. We went halves on it. It was £3,500. It was a Vauxhall Nova, which a lot of your listeners will have to Google. Um, I've got a picture of it on my office wall just to my right. And we went out and we did some tarmac rallies in the southeast of England. And it all went from there, really, mate. Uh, I can tell you much more about it if you want to know much more about it. But that that's how it started, how I went from sort of, you know, I went from from fan and viewer to going to a rally school to going, oh, do you know what? I'm going to do it. I'm just going to do it. So, you know, save the money up, bought a rally car. I didn't know anything about cars and we went rallying. You've got to start somewhere. <laughs> that That is like not what, at all what I was expecting for that story, but great <laughs> story. Um, I, I literally, I didn't, I didn't know anything, dude. I, I could, I could open the bonnet on the car. I, you know, obviously, I knew where the engine was and, and that there were carburetors on it. But literally, if you told me to point at stuff under the bonnet, it would have been the battery and the washer bottle for the, for the, you know, for the wipers, because that's what everybody knows when you open the bonnet of a car. You know, the hood. Um, I didn't, I didn't know anything about cars, and I learned because we didn't have any money. So, you know, the, the first event we went to, the handbrake locked on, the rear brakes melted, so we had to rebuild the brakes. That I learned about brakes. Then we went to the next event, and I didn't realise that unfortunately, when the handbrake had locked on, I cooked the engine. Um, so we did one stage at the next event before the engine blew, and then I learned about engines. You know, so when you haven't got any money, you learn about things pretty quickly because you have to get on your hands and knees and you know, get amongst it, get the old. Back then, you didn't get Google out. You know, you got a Haynes manual out, and uh, and you you know you read through what you had to do. And the car was made up of all yeah, Volkswagen Golf brakes on the back, and Vauxhall Cavalier brakes on the front, and Vauxhall's a, a UK brand. Opel is known as in Europe, um, and the car was a real mishmash of you know sort of cheap parts that we could get from scrapyards and stuff. And but it was a great it was a great education, and a lot of my love of of grassroots motorsport. And when I see somebody who's so upset because a result hasn't gone their way, and it might just be a cross-car driver in Rally X. You just know how much effort that family's put into that result. And I think doing the grassroots sport gave me a great a great grounding, you know, a great love of sport at all levels. Yeah, Um. so, and, and you went from, you know, this guy who knew nothing about rallying pretty much and nothing about cars to then doing a series with Subaru Motorsports USA about rallying and about rally cars. <laughs> Yeah, it's a long, long time in between. I mean, when did we do that? We filmed that in 2021 was the Subaru thing. And I did my first rallies back in 1998, I think. So, you know, I always think to myself, if you want to say that I started as a fan, I mean, I started as a fan as a kid. But, you know, when I actually started, actually, you know what? Prior to rallying was the radio control cars. So I'm mad about radio control cars. I still race them now. And I raced radio control cars, Tamiya's first, and then 
Team Associated, which is a well-known brand over in the States, um, Schumacher, which is a, a big brand over here. And I raced radio control cars right through until I got into full-size motorsport. So that was probably where I learned a bunch more about, you know, setup and, and the racing line and pressure and concentration before I got into, into full-size. So I suppose you could say I've been competing with cars if you include radio control cars, and I very much do. I wish more people would do it as a starter in motorsport since I was 13. So I, you know, I've been working in motorsport for 25 years and, um, and, and you know, from driver through motorsport instructor, getting into the television side of things and, and then having the, you know, the, just some amazing experiences like working with Subaru. You know, Subaru was my hero squad. Colin McRae and Richard Burns were my heroes. And, you know, they were in the famous 555 coloured cars. And, they're, you know, there's Subaru Motorsport USA getting in touch with me and saying, will you come and present our rally video? what an honour, you know, what a journey to have gone from a mid-90s rally fan to presenting the sport to a, a wider worldwide audience 25 years later. It's um, it's It's been a hell of a ride. I'm very grateful for some of the incredible experiences I've had along the way. Yeah, and, and before that, I never knew you to be anything to do with rally. I always thought of you as, as the rally cross guy because that's where I know you from. And then seeing you talk about rally, I was like, yeah, I mean, I say so. I mean, I, I started I'm, again looking at my bookshelf to my right. So there's the Group B Rally book, then there's Rally by Ron Hunt Klein, then there's McRae, Just Colin, then there's M Sport Documentary of a Rally Team. These are all big hardback coffee table books, you know, uh, rally yearbooks from the from the nineties and stuff. Um, you know, I was a rally fan, out and out rally fan. It was yeah, once yeah, F one was great, but once I discovered rally, I was like, no, nah, it's it's rally for me. I absolutely loved it. We used to go to the RAC rally every year. Um, we'd go up and, and watch McRae at Burns, Science, you know, Alistair McRae, the Higgins brothers, um, you know, all of the British stars taking on the the world championship round, and and of course against the the best drivers in the world. Some of them were, were just entering just for the weekend. That this was in the days of you know, three-car factory teams. So, you know, Peugeot would bring three cars and they'd have a tarmac specialist for the tarmac events and a gravel specialist for the gravel ones, um, which which I loved. Um, what else? I mean, yeah, Subaru, Mitsubishi. You know, the, Subaru would bring... They'd have a local driver. So when we were in the UK, you might have McRae and... and do you remember McRae and Burns? Were they ever in the team together? I don't think they were. I, but I, I remember uh... them both... I remember. I don't think they were. I remember them both in Subarus, and then Alistair McRae would sometimes be in a third car, you know. And then, say, Mark Higgins would hire a Ford, a Focus of of somebody. I mean, it was just, it was brilliant, and I, I loved the sport. And it was actually, it was Rally that I first commentated on the telly. That's um, that you know, it was Rally all the way. I I, I worked at Rally schools, um, so that sort of went full circle. I ended up working with Chris Munnings at, at Brands Hatch Rally School a few years later. Um, you know, and, and then got into commentating rally with Eurosport. That was that was my first gig was commentating on the Intercontinental Rally Challenge, which Chris Meat won in two thousand and oh, when was it? I want to say two thousand nine, but I'm not actually sure. Might have been after that. Terrible with years, I'm afraid. Must have been after that. I'll have to Google it. I'll Google it while we're talking. So, so you started commentating with rally. How did how did that? turn into rallycross so i suppose i mean i should start really with with how i started with the tv side of things it was it was oh hang on a minute i'm gonna go back now hold on hold on here we go when yeah no i was right he won it in 2009 yes good memory coley um i'm stoked on that as you can tell now i've lost there we go that's what i want back now let me get the let me get my big screen back with you there we go um 
Yeah, so I I was I I'd just done the 2008 MSA National Gravel Championship and I'd won my class in a Peugeot 206. It wasn't a big class, but there were still four of us that did it all year and we won it and I was stoked. And then the recession hit in the UK, like the financial crisis. I think it was pretty similar around the world. And a lot of my instructing work stopped because it was all it was all industry people, you know, going on a jolly up. And the first thing that gets cancelled when nobody's got any money is is jolly ups, you know, corporate days out. So I was like, well, what else am I going to do? And I've been working at places like Brands Hatch and just I always got asked to do the talking, whether it be the driver's briefing. Uh, and then, you know, we'd have a car launch, like a SEAT car launch. They'd be like, well, can you present the safety video? Yeah, if you want, you know. Uh, we had a, we had some things with the BBC, the big, you know, the big uh, TV channel over here filming for them. I had to train a, a student to be my co-driver. And then another one of the big channels wanted me to train, you know, the doctor that appears on breakfast television. He came and did some rally driving and I, I taught him. I had this great day out and I got paid the same as I got paid always to be an instructor. We sat in the car for three hours, yeah, doing some filming. I loved it. I, you know, I couldn't believe that you had to do three hours filming for a two-minute piece, but you did. And then they took me out to lunch. I was like, cool, this is, this is a bit of me. This is, you know, I haven't sat in the rally car all day. We've done half a day. I've been paid the same. I've got some lunch. This TV lot looks brilliant. Well, I can tell you 20 years later, it's way harder work than I thought it was. Um, you know, I was I was on the good side of things. But what, what it, I had was a bunch of little TV bits. And come 2008, when the work stopped a bit, I was like, you know what, I I need to find some I need to find something else to do. So I got a friend of mine, I paid him four hundred quid, which is all the money I had at the time, to put these TV bits onto a DVD. And I sent it off to two people, and you'll laugh, because one of them was top gear. So I don't know why I thought a bloke with absolutely no television experience whatsoever was gonna get a shot at top gear. And the other one was Eurosport Television, which is a huge sports network here in um in Europe. And Top Gear replied, bless them, said they had no plans to change their presenters, but thank you and best of luck, which I thought was really kind of them. Obviously, a few years later, they did change their presenters for reasons which everybody knows now. Um, and and I, the Eurosport thing, I, just, I sent them, a, it took me a while to get the right person. I'm going on here a bit. Sorry, Joe, it is a podcast. So I was oh, good. Um, and I, I wanted to commentate the IRC. I'd been watching it and Eurosport had some brilliant commentators, guys who I've had the pleasure of working with since, but they were race commentators and I wanted there to be a rally expert on air with them. I thought surely there must be room for one. Quite why I thought a bloke who just won a class in, you know, just a national level rally class should be the expert on TV. I don't know, but I had the balls to go, you know what? They're missing a rally expert. Someone who really loves rally, you know, understand tire compounds and cutting tires and pace notes. So I got in touch with them, took me six emails to three different people. You know, the first one didn't get replied to, but you've got to keep knocking on those doors. And in the end, I went to the interview up at Eurosport and the bloke said to me, um, he sat me down in the fire exit. I'd gone in a shirt and tie. I looked like a right dick because everyone else was just there in T-shirts and hoodies. And uh, I was totally overdressed, you know, and, and I'd, I sat down and he said to me, look, he said, I've seen the, your show reel on the DVD. Um, you know, you've got a nice voice and you clearly know what you're talking about. But and I quote, he said, you are a million miles away from a solo commentator, meaning someone who can commentate on the TV on his own. And he wasn't being rude. He just said, you know, it's not, it isn't a skill that you, you you know, you have to learn how to do it. So we haven't got any money. We haven't got any way to train you, even if we had any money. There's no academy for it. So I don't really know what to do. And I said, well, I'll just come and watch somebody else do it. Can I, can I please come and watch another commentator? And he said, yeah, fine. So I went in twice and, and watched another commentator do it. And then I went in twice as the expert, just in a 26 minute highlight show, which you don't really need an expert for. But obviously I realized now they were testing me. Uh, and then I got a phone call saying, could we book you to come and do this live rally commentary? And, you know, the day rate was 
quite a bit more than I was getting as a, as a motorsport instructor. And I was like, wicked. And that was 2000. And I, I think it was, two, it was 2009 was when I uttered my first words on the telly. Um, and it was about Chris Meek and damper testing. He was on the, I'm pretty sure he was on the Azores rally, if I remember correctly, but it might have been Ypres. And uh, it was just a line of, I remember being so nervous like, to give this information across on the telly, which is hilarious, really. And, and that, that's where it started. But it took me until 2013 to, to go full-time TV, which is where the rallycross thing comes in. And, and now, you know, like some years later, you're still commentating Chris Meek stuff. How mad is that? That's proper full circle again, isn't it? So, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I knew that Excite were looking for a driver and I knew that Chris was a good lad. And uh, I made a couple of calls to Chris and to the team and stuff. And OK, it hasn't carried on through the whole season, but it was great to see Chris come across to America. He loved competing in the American scene. And for me, it was quite nice because, yeah, he'd been the fact that Chris was competing in the IRC was how I sold myself to Eurosport. I went to them and I said, look, we've got this British driver, Chris Meek. He's Northern Irish, but he, 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 that means you have the Union Jack in your car. And you're technically British. So I said, Look, he's a British driver. I said, he's uh he's he's gonna, you know, he's doing really well in this championship. You you need a rally expert. So then like, okay, fine. So I went in and I was what I would call a jobbing commentator for those four years. And that meant really you have to say yes to everything. So you know, they asked me to go in as the expert on Asian Le Mans series. I'm like, I don't really know anything about Asian Le Mans series, but it's surprising when you spent 20 years loving motorsport, how much you do know. And and it's you should never take for granted that the viewer knows everything. Because a lot of the times you, you're getting viewers who, you know, we do get hardcore fans who want to know about anti-lag and what compound the brakes are, along with the compound and the tyre pressure and all the rest of it. But you get some viewers who've just switched it on for the first time. And if you focus on the stuff that you knew, which I did, you know, how the driver changes work, how the stints work, you know, gaps closing, looking at racing lines and things. I was like, yeah, you know what? I can do this. I wouldn't have been as good an expert Asian Le Mans as someone who'd been an Asian Le Mans driver but the net you know the nature of Eurosport was that you got called in to do all sorts of weird and wonderful things so I went and did that I missed my best mate's wedding to go and do a 25 minute highlight show for rally and I always feel bad about that but the thing is at the time I was trying to get my foot in the door and you have to say yes to everything you know you have to miss your mate's wedding and I've missed birthdays for family members my other half my own birthday you know you You've got to say yes to everything to get a foot in the door. And, of course, I did a few things here and there. And then I remember one day I got a phone call from a guy called Keith who goes, hello, mate, my name's Keith. I'm the producer for Super League Formula. What are you doing next weekend? I was like, well, I'm working at Mercedes-Benz World as an instructor. Why? And he's like, I want to pay you X amount to come to Holland and be the lead commentator for Super Super League Formula. I'd never watched Super League Formula. It was it was like a single-seated championship with the most amazing cars, I have to say, V12 engine, ridiculous single-seated cars, all backed by football teams from around the world, soccer teams. Well, I don't really follow soccer. And the first show that I did as a lead commentator was a two-and-a-half-hour qualifying show that worked like a soccer tournament, you know, as in knockouts until you got to the end, effectively duels or battles until you got to the pole man. And I did it, and I absolutely loved it. This was in 2012. I absolutely loved it. And on that job, I met two of the producers who I worked with over the last 10 years on the World Rallycross Championship, um, Extreme E and Nitrocross. You know, it's such a small world. That led me to working at the Goodwood Festival of Speed. I worked up at the rally stage there, and then I commentated the hill climb for British National Television four years in a row before I got the job with with the World Rallycross Championship. Um 
you know, it, it was, you have to be a yes man. I think, you know, people, I think people sometimes think, oh, lucky you, that, you know, it, I'm very grateful it worked out, but there isn't a lot of luck involved. You know, you have to graft. And I sometimes go back to my old college and say to the kids there, they're like, oh, how did you get into it? And you, know, you tell them, and when you tell them how many times you sent an email and nobody replied, yeah, you know, when you tell them how hard you work just to get a foot in the door, when you tell them you drove 80 miles to Eurosport four times for nothing, just to get a foot in the door, they start to understand that just sending a quick email isn't enough. You know, you've got to work. Um, so, yeah, brilliant. And then 2013 was was when IMG took over the rights to the European Rallycross Championship. And uh, I just saw an article in the paper saying IMG have taken the rights to this series. And one of the things the managing director, who was a guy called Martin Anai, had said in this article was we, we really want to up the TV coverage. We want to get one commentator to do it all. And I was like, that is a bit of me. You know, it brought my love of rally together with uh, my racing commentary and the fact that I'd been a lead commentator now for, you know, a year or whatever. And I thought, this is a bit of me. I've got to have a crack at it. So I sent an email to him. Actually, I sent an email to motorsport at img.com. Remind me to tell you about the Nitro email as well. I sent an email to motorsportimg.com and never expected to get a reply. I got a reply from the head of IMG Motorsport that day saying what I wanted to do. And unbeknown to me, one of the producers who I had met on that Super League Formula job had already been involved in the in the pitch for the world champ for the European Championship and had me in mind as commentator. So when I went to the meeting, the producer was there. I walk in as the guy that IMG have, have had an email from randomly, and it's like, there we go, same bloke. So it's mad, isn't it, the way those things come together? And that that was the start in 2013 of of working for IMG and and what was first of all the European Rallycross Championship. So how did that turn into the World Rallycross Championship? Because I know you did that for a couple of years. Yeah, seven years, in fact. So so what IMG originally had a plan to turn it from a European an FIA European Championship to an FIA World Championship in. I think the plan was three to five years. So the first year, there would be no live coverage. The second year, we'd do a few events live. You know, the third year, do the whole thing live on TV and then maybe look at becoming a world championship. And anyway, in the first year of the nine events, I'm pretty sure we did five of them live. And and believe it or not, my first co-commentator on the FIA European Rallycross Championship was Chris Meek. So Chris at the time was still competing in, uh, it's mad, isn't it? Was competing in the World Rally Championship. We had a conversation. He said, look, I'd love to come and do this. He said, but I don't want people to think that I don't want to drive anymore. He said, so I'm not going to do them all. I'll just do one or two. I think he only did one in the end. Um, and he was brilliant. He was absolutely brilliant. Uh, bearing in mind, it was my first you know, live show with these guys as well. I've done plenty of live TV, but live with 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 the new production crew and, and Rallycross we were in an old ice cream con- uh, van, like a, like a, not even a van, you know, when they just put a pod down. We had one of those on top of a container. It was at Kuvala, which we still go to now with the Rally X series in Finland. Um, and, and we did, anyway, we did five out of the nine live. And by the end of that year, IMG had done a deal with the FIA to turn it straight into the World Rallycross Championship from 2014. They very cleverly signed Petter Solberg, which brought a lot of eyes to the series. You know, he'd only just finished his WRC career. He was still a huge name, still is a huge name. He's, he will always be a huge name. And Petter being there just brought, you know, a, a bit more interest in what the series was doing. And that was really the professionalisation of Rallycross started there in, in 2013 with, with IMG. It was a wonderful sport before that. And as I say, it was the first motorsport I ever went and watched was Rallycross in the in the late nineties, up at mainly early nineties, up at up at Brands Hatch. So again, another full circle moment. I was like, wow, you know, the very first motorsport I ever went and watched. I was so 
blown away by and here I am commentating on it however many years later it was you know mad isn't it crazy it's funny how these things just all kind of line up to one thing at the end it's like it's funny it is it's it's a small world um you know even from going for the competitive side you know when I I used to drive I still see people that I drove against and and the instructors that I worked with and you know, I, I, people. I work. You know, I worked with Sam Bird. We both worked as instructors at, um, at Dunsfold Aerodrome, which is the Top Gear track in the UK. We worked there for a, a teaching uh, a Formula Woman, which was a women-only series. Yeah, where you came and did it, and you, and you won the drive at the end. Yeah, and Sam ended up in F1 and and at Formula E. And when I see him at Formula E, he's still like, "All right, mate, how's it going?" And we, you know, it's it's a small world. Um, or, you know, always be nice to people on the way up and always be nice and, and work hard and, and don't be a don't be a dick, basically, um, because you you will see these people everywhere you go. And, and the, yeah, the lovely little full circle moments. It's important to recognise those two and realise, you know, when I'm having a really bad day and we're, it is late at night and we're very tired and the TV show's not finished. And there's a problem with the satellite and this and that needs revoicing. And you get to the point where you're like, oh, I've had enough today. You know, you're jet lagged to hell. You've been away for three weeks. You know, all of those things, it makes me sound like, oh, God, you know, poor you doing live TV. But it is work. It's real hard work. And when you can recognise, uh, you know, you remember when you go, yeah, you know what, it is as cool as hell. It, it is, I'm very lucky and, and I love it. I love it. I love running into all those faces and, and, and you know, looking back at the journey, the different journeys we've taken to to sometimes end up at the same spot. So I, I, I have a question. This is what I've thought of since, like, the beginning. And it kind of goes to the World RX thing because I think the answer is going to be a World RX driver. Who has been the most difficult name you've had to say during your commentary career? Oh, mate, it's not going to be a World RX driver, but but Tim Timurzianov is a good example. I don't know if you've heard that story on air before. I called him Tim Timurzianov um, for the entire of the 2013 season until I went and saw him. I don't think I've got the voice note on my phone anymore, but I'm going to look right now for you. Uh, to ask him how to say his name. Ah, bugger, he's gone. Where would I have that? <laughs> I haven't got it. So basically, I had a voice note on my phone for, I don't know, seven years or something. And uh, it was Timmer. And I basically, I go, I say, I go up to him and I'm recording so that I can get his pronunciation name. I say, Timmerzianov, Timmerzianov. And he goes, Timmerzianov is okay. Timmerzianov. I'm like, okay, fine. So from then on, obviously, he was Timmerzianov. So, yeah, I called uh, Toppy Hakenen, Heikenen for a while. Y- you do particularly, obviously, names, American and English names uh, tend to be pretty easy. They tend to be quite phonetic. Quite a lot of the Norwegians, too. You know, things like Hansen, Christofferson, Backward, they're all pretty obvious. You say it how you see it. It's when you get into um, accents like French, sometimes there can be some tricky ones. Uh, but my, the worst ones ever when I worked on Porsche Carrera Cup Asia. So alongside getting the job in European Rallycross 2013, I had been emailing. Here's another good story for you. I've been emailing a company called Greenlight Television here in the UK. They, they're on the Isle of Man, actually, where the famous TT races are. And I used to email them every year and go, hello, my name is Andrew Coley. Uh, these are the things I've done this year. You know, I've been, I've, I'm desperate for work. Please, can you give me some? And... Um, they would always say, oh, we like what you do, but there isn't any work at the minute. You know, and I'd had the email that year, we like what you do, but there isn't any work at the minute. I was like, oh, okay, fair enough. Anyway, not six weeks later, I get another email back from the boss of the company saying, actually, something's come up. Would you be interested in covering Porsche Carrera Cup Asia? Uh, we'll take you out to Asia to see the test. And then after that, you'll be doing the commentary. You know, it's post-production. It's not live. So it's a cut down of the races in a, in a highlight show on the Isle of Man. I was like, yeah, wicked. 
So we go over and it's when you see the timing screens for the first time and it's all Chinese names, but also um, a mixture then of Malaysians, uh, Thai drivers as well. So here are the two, my favourites, Vuticorn Infrafubasak, who is a Thai driver, and there was Sutaluk Buncharon, and I think they were the two longest. I'm pretty sure there's another long Thai name that I can't remember. But, mate, when they got into a battle trying to say, Infrafubasak up the inside of Sutaluk Buncharon, and he gets passed by Zhang Dasheng, because with the Chinese names, you have to say it like Zhang Dasheng is how it's written, but it's up or down. So, actually, it's Zhang Dasheng if you say it correctly, but you can't say it correctly as an Englishman in the middle of a commentary flow. Then the timing screen. So sometimes um, businessmen from the Far East like to take a Western name because they feel it's easier for them to do business. So they'll change their first name to literally Billy or John or something like that. But they have their names the other way around. So their names are always surname, so family name, and then their name. Whereas obviously in the Western world, we go first name, so it's the job you can hear. Yogi, I'm on a podcast. Can you stop the scratching? Thanks, mate. Um, and uh, so, so we have a name. So then the timing screen, you've got a... You've got the Chinese names are coming down the one side, which is their, their family names. But then the ones who switch their names around have it the other way around because they've got a Western name as their first name. So then you get end up with just Billy and you know it's actually Billy Chong or whoever it was. And then we used to have the, you know, some of the professional drivers that had come over from Europe with, you know, Martin Raginger and we had El Bam was in that series, the winner of Le Mans and, and factory Porsche driver. So the names over there, mate, honestly, it's made it's made Rallycross a piece of cake compared to, to Porsche Carrera Cup Asia. But that was again, it was a wonderful experience. You know, I, I've been to um I've yeah, with with Porsche Carrera Cup Asia, Shanghai many times. I've been to Thailand, Malaysia, Japan, and Australia, all through um a, an email, you know, well, several emails. To Greenlight TV, and it, and it went from being a job where I was just going to go out to the Isle of Man to do the highlights. Actually, a bit like the Rallycross thing. In the end, they were like, you know what, we're going to do loads of live streaming. Can you come out to Asia? So I had these incredible experiences of going to places which were so so different from uh, from from what we from the Western world. It's just it's a totally different culture. I went to India once. Do you want to hear about that? Oh God! <laughs> so. I, I got, I got, um, a mate of mine, Ben Constantius, was, I can't remember if he was working on it or couldn't do it or whatever, but there was a Toyota series at a track in uh, Chennai in India. And this was actually, this was one, was this 2012 or 2013? I'd have to look it up in my invoices. But I'm looking back at the, looking back at the map behind me now on the wall. I've never, I've never flown long haul. I'm sure, I'm sure, I think, I think it was my first long haul flight. It might have been 2012, 2013. Proper long haul, you know, like 12 hours. And uh, anyway, so, yeah, anyway, I went to India. I, I got the other end. They hadn't even given me the name of the bloke who was picking me up. I had to walk out in, into the maddest scene I've ever seen at an airport still ever to a bloke with just holding my name up. Um, I got pulled up at the border because I didn't know what hotel I was staying in. Um, and I went to this, this track and they had uh, all of the cars were identical. And I mean, they had the same livery blacked out windows because of how hot it is and then with a dark blue name on it so you, not only were the names quite hard to say but you couldn't even see the names on the car even on the front windscreen so all you could do was numbers they had one timing loop which was on the start finish straight and i was in the commentary box on the top floor which had no air conditioning it was about 36 celsius and about 90 percent humidity and i said to the guy is there a timing screen he said yeah 
I said, oh, cool. I said, when, when is it coming? He goes, no, no. He said, it's downstairs in timing. So I was like, oh, my God. So we did, I did this whole race. Basically, you had no idea who was doing anything as they crossed the line because all the cars looked identical. And you only got an update on the timing screen, which they did get me in the end. Um, you know, once a lap when they came over the start finish line. But what a brilliant experience. You know, it's the only time I've ever been to India. And it was, yeah, it was fantastic. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah, it's all coming out, isn't it, now? <laughs> okay now, now now here's here's the question what haven't you done what haven't i done yes oh ah, what have i not done i'm just gonna say i haven't done f1 but i've, I've hosted stuff so I've, I've worked for i I hosted aston martin's hospitality at the british grand prix uh, i've done i've done a few jobs actually been at pre-season testing and things but always on the hosting side not done any uh tv or radio for f1 and quite often i get asked you know do you want to make it to f1 yeah, if F1 comes calling, yeah, of course I'm interested. It's the, it's the pinnacle of motorsport. But is that the aim? Was that ever the aim? No. You know, the 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 love was of off-road motorsport. And I think I've been really lucky in that, you know, if you want to become a soccer commentator, there are a lot of people that want to be a soccer commentator. You know, they 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 really do. Um, and I I think that probably by not saying I want to get to F1 maybe gave me a better opportunity. Do you know what I mean? It, rather than rather than competing against all those people trying to get to a point, I thought, well, I don't want to do that. I'm gonna I'm gonna go off and do all these this rally and rally cross that I didn't think anybody was really focusing on. It again, it wasn't really like, oh, I'm at this. I must focus on that because there's an opportunity. It's just what I like. It was just what I liked. And when I look back now, I actually think it was pretty key to the whole thing of of um of you know, ending up being a full-time commentator was that I've gone down the off-road route, which a lot of people haven't. Yeah, and there and there's a lot more of those like smaller rally series that you can do that you can always join and get started with. Like there'll always kind of be that. But to get to your point, you had to go through many loops to get there. Yeah, it, and that's what I was saying to you earlier about just just you know don't don't give up basically don't you know when somebody if somebody says no to me as a general rule i'm like right okay so either i'm they don't think i'm ready in which case i'll make myself more ready and i'll have another go next year or sometimes it's like no i'm going to prove you wrong you know i'll I'll find a different way i actually when i first wanted to get into tv i think i thought i wanted to be a presenter but you know if you look at presenters they're all like a lot of them are ex-models uh you know they've they've come up through the theater side of things or it's an ex-pop star and you know obviously i'm none of those things um and that was when i I was like okay you need to be an expert or something and yes i'm not as much of an ex chris meek would have been a way better co-commentator than me but chris meek didn't want to be a co-commentator i wanted to be a co-commentator and i knew enough about rally I, i was a rally geek you know a huge fan and I, I remain a huge fan of motorsport i've got a passion for it and i love for it which sort of carries you through a lot of those situations of trying to break down some doors so yeah i had to bust down a bunch of doors just to get a foot in the door to get an opportunity and then you have to chase after stuff you know it, it, all of the good jobs that i've got of, of i've gone after and the nitro nitro is the same that was the story i was going to tell you i sent an email to info at nitrocircus.com um, that was how I got a foot in the door at Nitro because I'd seen on social media that they were having this Nitro World Games with with Nitro Rallycross, the first ever NRX event in 2018. At the time, I was commentating both the World Rallycross Championship and America's Rallycross. And I was like, well, I've got to do this. Like, This is going to be all the drivers that I know from both series. I've got to, I've got to try and get a foot in the door. 
So I sent them, a, I sent them an email and I got an email back and I didn't hear and I chased it and I didn't hear and I chased it. And then finally I got a phone call at two in the morning in an underground car park in Latvia from the series producer at the time who was saying to me, have you ever been the co-commentator? Because we, we've got a, a lead commentator in mind, a guy called Tess. And uh, they were like, would you work alongside him as the expert for the first one? I was like, yeah, no worries. And that was how the first one, the first two worked. In fact, 2018 and 2019, I went in as in the expert role. Um, and we, we had a wicked time. I loved it. I loved the way the series was, how how different it was. Yeah, obviously, how incredible that Salt Lake City track is. We've got some wonderful rallycross tracks in Europe, but the Salt Lake City one was not not better because Hollius, for instance, is a brilliant circuit. But I walked in and was like, holy that gap that is have they forgotten to build a bridge you know it was massive and I couldn't believe they were going to do it I don't think some of the drivers could believe they were going to do it when they first went there and then Travis goes I could do it in my rental car you know and and goes out and does the first run and and from then on it's you've got to go haven't you if Travis does it you've got to go and do it as well and that that's what happened I've seen some very very famous rally rallycross drivers very very nervous about doing that gap jump for the first time but it was a wonderful experience, and that was yeah, that was where things started with Nitro. Another another email. Basically, this whole podcast, Joe, is about me saying send loads of emails, <laughs> isn't it? Is is that what this has turned into? Just send emails. I, I'm going to write an article about that later. Just just Andrew Cooley's message to get to get into the sport: send emails. That's yeah, dude, totally, totally it's just email, just just email, <laughs> and then if you don't get re- basically the rule is this is my rule: email once. Yeah, if they don't reply. Email again. So normally forward back the first email, go, oh, good afternoon. I wonder if you have any thoughts about this available at your convenience. If they don't reply on the second one, you've got to leave it a bit. You know, because if you get to three, they're obviously not interested. Personally, I always think it's a bit rude. And that's why when you came to me asking me about the podcast, I'll always reply. I couldn't do it at the time. Yeah, we've emailed about 15 times this year as we've put it back from March to September. But I always, I always like to think that a reply doesn't take too long to do. You know, I think if you, yeah, I don't, don't think you're too important to send a reply back. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I hassle, hustle a bit. I found it, by the way, I was right. It was 2012 for the Indian job. Toyota Etios TV commentary for Nimbus TV. Um, and, yeah, that's August 2012. So that was the same year that I'd started doing lead commentary. So that and Super League Formula were my first lead commentary jobs back in 2012. Um and I would have been across to the States by then. Me and my wife had come to come to New York, but New York's only a six-hour flight. When you get a 12-hour flight to India and get off the other end, and it's a very different time zone and a very different culture. It was a it was a real eye-opener. Sorry, gone a bit of a loop there, but yeah, I, I found it on the uh, on the back. I'm sitting here in front of the computer check fact checking myself. So far I'm I'm right on all counts. <laughs> so uh, anyways, back to the I think it was the Nature Cross stuff. Yeah. So yeah, you got into that. You did the first year. I think it was with that one guy, and then Bucky Lassick, if I'm correct, right? So well, but so Bucky actually did ARX with me. So ARX was America's Rallycross. That was run by IMG, and it was run in 2018 and 2019. So when Global Rallycross GRC collapsed, it, it left a bit of a hole, um, and the manufacturers were well invested in the states. You know, you had Subaru, you had Volkswagen with the Beetles, you had OMSE who were running the Hondas. Um, and had had some backing from Honda and it's like, oh, what are they going to do? You know, they've got to keep it going. So IMG kind of had some emergency talks with the manufacturers. Obviously, at the same time, Nitro were, were cooking up the idea of Nitro World Games, which was just a one-off at the time. Um, and yeah, so Bucky, IMG got in touch with me and it was Bucky and, and I think James Rimmer 
who are going to do it. And I'd, I'd, I think they were going to have Bucky as the reporter. And I said, you know what, Bucky's been a rallycross driver and James has been a rally driver. And James actually did co-commentate with me. at a few, He co-commentated one where Bucky, I think, was at X Games. And James stepped into the commentary box and he was brilliant. I love James. He's such a great guy. He, him and his dad run Dirtfish. Um, but Bucky, I was like, look, we've got Bucky Lasek here. He's a massively famous skateboarder. He's driven the Subarus in Global Radicals. We'd be mad not to have him as the co-commentator. So we got me and Bucky together doing ARX. And that was, you know, they were, we just started streaming it like we did on World RX. We'd have a commentary box camera. So if there was nothing going on, we'd come to the commentary box. Occasionally you'd have a long clear up on track and he'd have to come up the box. Bucky was hilarious. He was so much fun and still is, obviously. Um, I remember what he said about Tanner Faust once about how Tanner Faust was like Captain Caveman pulling stuff out of his beard. That was when Tanner pulled a uh, an ice pack out of his race suit. And just stuff like that was, was yeah, he, he was great. He was really good fun. It took wonderful time working with him on that. ARX only lasted two years. Um, IMG, you know, couldn't make it work for whatever reason. I think they gave it up a bit too soon, personally. But that played into the hands of Nitro, of course, because then there was a gap in the States for a series. And un- unfortunately COVID hit soon enough that, um, you know, that, that it didn't happen when they wanted it to. We, you know, we had, we had that gap, the whole world had a gap and it didn't that suck. Um, but, but it got off the ground, got off the ground slightly later than planned. And I'd, I'd stayed in touch with them in the background and yeah, very grateful to, to still be involved with the series now. I love it. I, I, I honestly couldn't imagine Nitrocraft without you calling it. Like I couldn't. <laughs> Thank you, mate. I I appreciate that. I, I've been really lucky, I think, that as the sport of rallycross has grown, a lot of people who've discovered it have, have only known me to be commentating it. You know, I'd never be so, you know, I, sometimes people call me the voice of rallycross in posts or in press releases and stuff, and it's a great honour. I would never, ever call myself that. I think it's far too presumptuous, you know, because... There are plenty of people who will commentate the sport in future and have commentated it in the past, and I have a lot of respect for that. But it is lovely to for people to assume that, you know, for for, for people to say that about me is not lost on me. It's 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 incredible. You know, I was so lucky to do seven years of the World Championship as it exploded from nothing to this incredible global FIA World Championship with four manufacturers and, and incredible names like Ken Block, Sebastian Loeb, Matthias Extra and Petter Solberg in it. You know, unbelievable. And then just to, to get to come across to the States with ARX and then continue that with, you know, with with Nitro and the likes of Travis Pastrana and Scott Speed and Tanner Faust, it was just like, yeah, I mean, you, you it, they can't sit hear it on the podcast, but yeah, actually, you probably can hear it. I've got a big grin on my face because it's it's bloody brilliant, <laughs> mate. You know, yeah, it's been brilliant. Brilliant. I don't even know if I answered the question, um, but yeah, they there you go. Yeah, so ARX, but yeah, ARX through to Nitrocross. ARX only lasted the two years, and then yes, they Nitrocross took over. So with Nitrocross, and you said ARX gave up a bit too soon, in your opinion, and I kind of agree with that, especially seeing how big Nitrocross has gotten in the past couple seasons, like it is not a small series anymore. No, it's not, you know, and they're, they're working incredibly hard at thrill one that the, uh, the company that it, it effectively is behind the series, you know, the action sports company thrill one, they're working incredibly hard to, to make it, to make it happen, you know, to move it on. It's not easy. And I know that from working with the likes of IMG on the world championship and CNARX and, and as I say, being involved in the sport for 25 years, you know, there is a lot that goes on behind the scenes that fans don't see. And they see, oh, a driver signed for this team. And, 
they don't realise that that driver's taken $2 million with them to sign for that team. You know, they haven't necessarily been signed by that team. And all of those financial deals that go on and the amount of money it takes just to put a TV broadcast together, you know, you're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars just to broadcast the show. Um, and, and then, you know, you've got venues and track builds and, and publicising it and the people that are involved. There's a bunch of people. You know, I'm lucky I, you see me on the telly and you think, oh, there's Coley and, you know, Nitro Cross. You, but there's so many people behind us on the TV team, on the organisation team. They're there a week before. They're there now at Phoenix. They're already at Phoenix making modifications to the track. Not the whole team, but obviously the track team who are brilliant. Um, and then we'll get the rest of the team there, the marketing people, the people that build the VIP, the people that build all the tents that all the cars go in. Obviously, the logistics people turn up, the containers. You, the little bit you see on the TV is just two tiny days in the middle of a huge amount of effort that goes on in the background. It's very hard to run a series. And uh, I think through one are doing a really good job. You know, they've they've come in as the sport transitions from internal combustion to electric. And I think that's hard for, for everybody because it's new. And so everything you're doing is new. How you run the cars is new. Um, you know, what the fans think of it is new. We're lucky with Nitro Cross that it is such a good show that I think a lot of people forget the fact it's electric. You'll see a lot of resistance to electric motorsport from motorsport fans. They like noise. I like noise. I liked, you know, Group A rally cars. But I haven't given up liking Group A rally cars because they don't sound like they used to sound. And I, I'm not going to give up on Rallycross, Nitrocross, you know, Extreme E, just because it doesn't go brum brum anymore. Yeah, I might quite like it if it did. But, but but you know, I love the sport. I love this. There's some just some brilliant racing. And with Nitrocross, because we've got such a great show element, from the TV side being quite fun, through to the tracks having these incredible jumps, if you're going to take something away that the fans like and they like noise, you've got to give them something else. And what Nitrocross and Thrill want to do is giving them a great show. You know, this is it's it is a serious sport. It is a serious sport, but we want to make it entertaining to watch. We want to bring new fans along who have maybe never been to motorsport. We want to educate old fans in how awesome these cars can be, and and hopefully you know win some hearts and minds over who who think they might not like electric motorsport. I mean, you know, you Joe, you obviously watch enough Nitrocross to know that we have some absolutely brilliant races. Yeah, and and to me, Nitrocross is better than World RX right now because not only is it more exciting, it's five times more exciting. It's always different. It doesn't. You could go to the same track for all ten rounds. The same guy won't win every round. No, I mean, look at Glenn Helen last year. You know, triple header to finish off the season with that incredible roller coaster for Robin Larson. Um, you know, it, it was bonkers, and yeah, it's even even in uh, Salt Lake City, the last you know the last two rounds, the double header round two and three, all American show on day one, all Swedish show on day two, same track, two different days, and it just went completely different ways. Um, we, we're lucky we got some incredible stars, obviously, with with the likes of Travis. He's, he's a great figurehead for the series. You know, he is um, Travis for for Nitro Cross is what Peter Solberg was for. For European and World Rally Cross back in the day, he's that guy that people want to watch already. So they might not know who some of the European drivers are, particularly in the States. But also then you've got that core audience in Europe who already love the sport and have followed their European drivers over to Nitro Cross. Um, so, yeah, the, the two, you know, World Rally Cross and Nitro Cross have gone in very different directions. Nitro Cross, you know, the name change of Nitro Cross is to get away from some of the traditions of rallycross so that we can be a bit wilder you go look okay well that's the fia side of things we're not doing that we're nitro cross so we're going to go bigger you know the jumps are going to be wilder it's going to we're not going to do the 60 40 split of surfaces we're just going to do we're having a nice race 
and I think that's great. I think it's exciting. Um, it's exciting for the for the. Um, that's my email. Sorry, mate. I'll switch that off. It's exciting. <laughs> Live emails coming in. Um, nothing exciting. Don't worry. It was about radio control cars, actually, so I am excited about it, but I'll read it later. Um, <laughs> so much about emails on this podcast. <laughs> I know, yeah. See, yeah, basically, just, we could rename it, mate. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's it's a, it's a great series with some great stars in it and some some brilliant action, and it's so much fun to be a part of. It's hard work, like I say. Not, we don't, you know, the, the, the bit you see of the TV broadcast is a tiny bit of our day. Uh, and I am always on the jet lag train because I, you know, last year I quite liked it when it came across to Europe and my American friends had a sucky couple of days where they were really jet lagged and falling asleep in the rental cars on the way back from the track, you know, and I was one hour from home. Uh, but whenever I'm in the States, I'm between six and eight hours out of my time zone. So you'll have to forgive me if I look tired sometimes, if I'm yawning and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm uh, on the, on the West side, I am a long way from home, but it's, it's yeah it's great fun mate it's great fun you, you made your uh nitro cross debut at the uh last event uh with a the van uh, how do i put this correctly a rather shit van <laughs> yes yeah, that's, that's fair mate yeah that's that's pretty much what tanner said about it and we we beat him out obviously for uh for broadcast television purposes um yeah so I didn't know. So but there was a bunch of bands and obviously some of them are owned by people because they've got AstroTurf on them and, and yeah, they're all logoed up. And I'm, well, obviously it's not mine. And there was just this one gold van that was a piece of crap. They'd taken the windows out of it. Jim York and his guys had t- taken out the windows. Nothing else really. There were still some tools in the boot which I took out so I didn't want to get any of those to the head on the way around. Yeah, there, there, there isn't the... You know, when I got the call, basically Christy Z from Nitrocross, she messaged me and she said... Uh, Hey, Coley, do you have a race number? This was a few weeks before the event. I was like, oh, God, what are they up to? You know, secretly hoping that it would at least be something with a roll cage in it. Um, but when she came, when literally, I was like, oh, yeah, 75, I've used quite a few times. David Higgins' old number, stick that down. So anyway, um, then it comes back, of course, I'm on the entry list for the Van Prix. It was on Instagram about five minutes later. I was like, oh, no, what have I done? So we got to, the, we got to Utah, and there was this gold van, and it was a real piece of crap. Uh, but I didn't test drive it. I didn't have time. Like we were so busy working on TV. So on the Thursday, they rigged it with the onboard cameras. And it's not just a GoPro. You know, this is a broadcast onboard camera that you can go live to, you, that the director can cut to, you know, so you can see it while it's happening. So they rigged all the cameras on Thursday. And on the Sunday morning, I was like, I better just, I was Saturday morning, so I said, I better just take it for a quick rip around the paddock, see if it's any good. So our producer, one of our producers um, got in the car with me, Lara, and we drove up the paddock. And it wouldn't go from first to second gear. I was like, no, ding, 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 29 miles an hour. I was like, oh, my God. So I tried everything, dude. I tried putting it in manual, you know, and using the stick. I tried rolling off the throttle. Now, if you rolled off the throttle to, like, 5%, 10% throttle, it would take second. And I was like, yes, okay, wicked, I'll get round. But the second you went past 10% throttle, it dropped back to first again. So I was like, this is just an absolute disaster. But there's, well, at that point, there's one or two things. Yeah, you either, you're a big wuss, and you go, I'm not driving it because it's not a really good special car. Or you just go, I'll oh, suck it up, pal. You know, it's going to be a great bit of television. Get stuck in. So we put Union Jacks on the car because, you know, I know the Americans love being American and I love being British. I thought they'll appreciate it, at least, of someone who's patriotic. 
Um, you know, they did all the hero shots of me putting the helmet on and Jared voiced the fun thing about, you know, Max Verstappen, talented. None of these words apply to Andrew Cullen, which was a brilliant bit of scripting by our producer, Matt. And, you know, it was just so much fun. I was like, well, I'm not going to not go out and it's just the car's crap. And they put me on the front row. I was like, I don't think this is a good idea. And then Diana interviewed me in the pitch. She's like, what do you think is going to happen? I said, I think I'm going to get overtaken by everybody on the run to turn one. And of course, that's exactly what happened. You know, Bill Coe's down there waving the green flag as the 10 second board. I would high five 200 people heading out to the tracks. I thought that would be a laugh. And that went down a tree. And because the car was so slow, I could hear the crowd going absolutely mental every time I came past, which was brilliant. You know, I think they all, thought, they all thought it was hilarious. And then on the last lap, I was like, right, I'm so far back. Came round, I saw the gantry had lit up last lap. So I got up, sat on the windowsill of the car and, and rode it over the finish line in true Petter Solberg style. And was very pleased with myself. Went back to the uh, went back to the paddock P10, I think it was maybe P9. If somebody had retired, stood on the roof with my Union Jack and celebrated, uh, you know, mediocrity in the finest possible way because it was fun TV. And uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it. If that how hilarious! That's literally I have to have a USAC license for that. That is my American racing debut was the Fan Free at Utah Motorsport Campus 2023. <laughs> I I remember watching that. I'm like. You know what? Nothing else matters at this point. Andrew just stole the show. N- nothing else matters. <laughs> I don't even care about Thanks, the rest mate. of the race. Yeah, I, 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 really I don't think I realised I had quite that level of showman in me. I've seen some of the footage back. I think it might be Tanner Faust uh, or Amanda Sorensen in the background shouting, what a showman. I'm like, yeah, get in. Um, yeah, yeah, us Brits can be a showman too. You know, we got, we got, you got to put it on sometimes. But yeah, it was good fun. It was good fun. It was, it was all in. Yeah, I knew I was going to be the patsy of the piece right from the start, but it was going to be a bit of fun. If I'd had a good van, yeah, I'd have had a crack at winning it definitely. But I have to say, the jump landings, even in that terrible van, go slowly were absolutely shocking. So maybe it's um, maybe it's a good job it wasn't a good van because it definitely didn't have good suspension. By the time it came back in, it, all the fluids were leaking out the bottom of it. You know, it was yeah, it was it was dead. I think it, unfortunately, I think that's the last time that van had any glory. Uh, I think it was probably off to the wreckers' yard the following day. Yeah, that event was great for so many reasons. Like I. I had a true emotional moment when I seen Travis win on round two. Yeah. I was like, I was like, you know what? This weekend will be so great if Pastrano won and Backward won because it's Ken's home track, right? Yes. And yeah. that, that would be like the perfect thing, right? It, it, it almost happened. It's just somebody forgot to take a joker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I saw I saw your Christopherson, the team boss, afterwards, and obviously the lap counts have changed this year compared to last year, and we we base lap counts effectively on duration. So again, you know, where it's not a regulation going right, this is the length of the track, and this is how many laps you do. Obviously, the track in Utah is really long, so you've got to consider lots of things. It's not just run time on the cars; the cars are actually well capable of doing ten laps. But if you empty the battery completely, then you're looking at like two, three hours to recharge them. So you can only do one race in the show. So, you know, it, you're always with Electric Motorsport, same with Extreme E. You're looking at what is the duration of the race, what is the charge time, what's the TV window, when do we need to finish on air and all those things. So that affects things like the lap count. So they've got the lap count. And I saw Yole afterwards and he was absolutely distraught because Yole is first class. He would be extremely high on my list of people that I would like to drive for would be Yole Christopherson at, at DRR. Um, and he's such a lovely bloke and he's absolutely gutted. And Andreas was gutted too, as you would have seen on the TV. You know, he, he sort of, not stormed, but he, you know, he, he sulked off to the paddock and was, was annoyed. As it goes, the penalty wasn't too bad. 
Um, and he only lost a couple of places. But if he had joked, he would have lost the lead anyway. And I think that's the thing to remember is that although it would have been the, the really cool story, as you say, particularly with the blocks being at their home track, um, Lucy and Leah and, and everyone being there, um, that actually, you know, he, if he'd joked, he would, he would have come P2 anyway, P2 or P3. So, but yeah, bummer for Andreas. Absolute bummer. It, it, I sat there and I'm like, that is the worst ending to a you know to an event. Like to lose the lead on a Joker is one no. thing, but to lose it via a penalty that yeah. that's just and you could see in the broadcast, Andreas was just completely pissed. wasn't Wasn't he good to come to the to the studio? I was really impressed by that because I thought he might disappear and not come to the studio, which I would have fully respected. You know, if a driver's having a bad day, the access we get is incredible. And I would have fully respected him if he'd have said, I'm not coming, I don't want to do it. But he did. He came, he took it on the chin, you know, and he sat and he, had, he gave us some pants in the in the commentary box in our, in our, our fantastic studio that we've got this year. Uh, yeah, I thought that was super cool of him. Super cool. So, yeah, a bit of a shame for him. But I think we're in for a great year. Like, it, it's, um, I've done some social for Nitro recently, which I, I don't know whether that will come out or not in time for Phoenix. But, uh, you know, I think we've had, if I remember correctly, we've had three different top qualifiers and three different winners in the first three events. So it's, although Kevin Erickson, Kevin Erickson hasn't had a win, he's been on the podium at every event and he's in the lead in the series. So I, I think we're in for a cracking year. You know, we're not, we're just about coming up for a third of the way through 10 events again. Obviously this year, a few more double headers. So we're only doing six weekends, but 10 rounds. And uh, I think it's wide open. Going to be a fantastic season. So hopefully, um, some of the people who listen to this, if they've not seen Nitro Cross before, will will come and have a watch. Well, yeah, and it, you know, that's the thing that I love about Nitro Cross is you don't know how it's going to pan out. You know, it's like you said, Kevin Erickson hasn't won a round, but he still tops the leaderboard. You know, Fraser McConnell after the first round looked like he was, you know, going to probably win the championship, and then. You know, round two happened, and then now he's, I think, sitting fifth. Yeah, and you know, double header weekends are always tricky if you're having a bad one because it's a, how can you fight back on day two? And Fraz did a good job on day two of coming back, not losing too much. And that's often the weekends you win a championship. You often don't win a championship with you know with your your best performance. You you need some of them, but it's that weekend where it's all going wrong. It's what can you salvage when you think how many times in recent years in in Nitro Cross, Extreme E, World Rallycross. It's come down to the last round and maybe even equal on points. Like, you know, and it goes back on count back. Every single point counts. When you're having a bad weekend, you've got to pull yourself together, focus and and drag every single point you can out. And and that's what Fraser did well on, on day two in Utah was to... You know, was to make sure it wasn't a total disaster. Yeah, it wasn't going to be his favourite weekend ever, but um, but he did well to to you know to get a, a semi result from it. So yeah, it's going to be good. It's going to be mega. And, and you know, that's the thing too. It's like Chris Meade missed the last two rounds. You know, and the, you know, I find I still find it funny how you know the entire thing going into round two was the Andreas Backer versus Chris Chris yeah. Meade thing, and then he just doesn't show up. It's like. That would have been. I, we all, we all wanted to see that, didn't we? You know, I think we all wanted to see um, Chris and Andreas's uh, interesting little spat continue from uh, from Oklahoma. It was a misunderstanding, you know. Like it was, it was. Andreas was grumpy that Chris hadn't moved over. Chris had the right not to move over. They drove into each other on the way back to the paddock. They went up to each other's tents and exchanged words, as you might have seen. It was all. It was in the, again that really fun edit of um, of what had happened in between the two rounds. 
and then unfortunately the you know excite didn't continue with the with the drive with chris which is a shame um but but yeah nice to see tanner out likewise tanner turned up with some backing from yokohama and uh and got out and went out and did a great job, didn't he? So it was it was good to see Tanner back and, and competing in uh, in Nitro Cross. Really cool. Hopefully we'll see a bit more of him later on in the season. So, so I, I'm sitting here wide-eyed because you just said something that I had no clue about. Me, me yeah. done with Excite? No, not necessarily. This is the thing uh, you see. Teams teams make teams make decisions from round to round based on their, their budgetary needs and so on. So, you know, if Tanner's turned up with a budget for a round... Um, then maybe he gets the car. You know, it, it's maybe they run one car, maybe they run two. It depends on on what deal they've done as well with the series. Like some teams, uh, if you sign up for the entire series right at the start, you are then obligated to run the car all year. Whereas other cars can be dropped in and out as you choose according to budgets and so on. So yeah, nothing nothing too uh, too exciting there. I'm afraid. I'd love to see Chris come back. Um, you know, I think he obviously he's such a class driver that yeah, anyone who can win Rally Finland is outrageously good. He's he's a brilliant rally driver. His car control is in absolutely no doubt whatsoever, and his rallycross racecraft for me was really coming on. I thought his passing Phoenix was brilliant last year. I think the stewards were wrong to to disqualify him for that. Um, but uh, but yeah, hopefully we'll see we'll see Chris again. But it is good to see a bunch of different drivers coming and trying the FC One. You know, we've got Victor Franks joining the series now as well, the young Belgian driver who's won the RX2E series over here in Europe, which is the support category for the World Rallycross Championship. Uh, Victor's been racing in Rally X. I don't know if you watch Rally X or not, but he's been racing up against the internal combustion supercars with his electric RX2E machine. So he really knows how to wheel an electric car. Uh, he's a newcomer to the series. That's a two-car team coming in. So there's a bunch of these FC1Xs out there. We've just got to get a few, few more people getting budgets together, You know, getting themselves good to go. And, and we should have a very full grid of cars and and, uh, and some cracking racing as, as time goes by. So yeah, just series is still growing. They're still working really hard. I've been on a, I was on a two hour call prior to being on with you with the guys over in LA um, talking through uh, all sorts of things ahead of the next round. So yeah, it's, it's exciting times. And, and, you know, like I think BSC still, or Vermont sports car still owns two extra cars that haven't seen the light of day yet. So, Correct. And, you know, there's always the options there for drivers. It's just you've got to attract people, and having Victor come over from the World RX is is a great thing for the sport because it shows, you know, hey, a driver who had, you know, who didn't like what the World RX was doing, is now coming over to Nitro. It, it's it's an eye opener for a lot of people, I think, and you know, to have Faust come back, it was huge for the sport because. You know, Faust is a big name when you think about it, especially in America. So to have him come over, it's like, you know, that's huge. Absolutely. Tanner, I said on the broadcast, and it's been on the social since, is that um, he's won in every radical series. He won in GRC, ARX. Uh, he won in. He's the only American to have won a round of the World Rallycross Championship. He won a European Rallycross Championship round. So really, the only series left that he needs to win in is Nitro Cross. So Tanner's got to complete that set for me, uh, and that will make him, you know, the most versatile in terms of the number of different series in in which he's won. Um, yeah, don't forget, Christopherson's driven the FC One. We've had uh, OC Baby did a couple of rounds as well over in Europe. So the, loads of different people have tried Connor Daly. It's great to see him in the car. And Victor, the nice thing about Victor Franks for me is how young he is. He is, I can't remember, I think he's 17 or 18 years old. He, uh, he'll be 18 when he makes his debut. So he's 17 at the minute, he'll be 18 when he makes his debut in Van Helen by about three days. 
So he's going to be by far and away the youngest driver we've ever had in the series. Um, and I'm excited to see how he gets on. Yes, a thousand horsepower electric race car going up against some legendary names. And I think if he can do a, a decent job, which I, I think he will, he's, you know, he's, he's aiming to be a professional racing car driver. He's not doing this for fun. It is fun, but he's not doing it for fun. Um, he's serious about it. And I think if he comes across as a youngster and does a good job, I think a lot of young drivers are going to be from multiple different series. Yeah, we're not just about stealing drivers from, from yeah, the World Championship. We, what, what we need in the States is, is we need people at grassroots level to be looking at Nitrocross and going, I'm not going to go the NASCAR route. I'm not going to go the IndyCar route. I want to do Nitrocross. So I'm going to do some karting. But alongside that, I'm going to do some side-by-side. -side. You know, I'm going to learn how to jump a car. I want to drive on dirt. I'm going to do some dirt over and get in their heads into, you know, look, look how much the grassroots motorsport scene in the USA is absolutely massive. If we can tap into that, you know, people look at Victor Franks as a young driver and go, okay, he did karting, he did uh, cross car, he did some electric rallycross, and now he's in one of the biggest rallycross series in the world. If they see that, then maybe they'll see it as a, as a potential career route as well. And that would be fantastic. Yeah, and you know, you, you say American grassers, and the first person that popped into my mind was Leah Block. Yeah. You know, she's what I think sixteen, seventeen, something yeah. like that. Yeah. And and you know, she's doing uh next this year and she is an incredible driver and you know, that was fun. And then you you know, we had a guy like Patrick Gerska come out for the rest of the series, I think, this season. Um yeah, he is. He, He's, I think, 20. Yeah, he's 20. <laughs> to know this, I talked to him quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's a nice guy. Isn't he? I was really, really impressed with his attitude. And obviously having Leah in the series is huge. Um, she is a huge name, uh, you know, and, and she's she's a great driver. I think she's done brilliantly in the first couple of events. I think she's been super unlucky. Yeah, she had the rejoin when she got DQ'd for in Oklahoma. Okay, uh, you know rules are rules she was disappointed i get it i can see both sides from that you can't see much in those cars it's very hard to rejoin safely especially when the tracks are at a crazy angle and you're coming in from the side or whatever um so and then obviously in uh two of the cars got dq'd at the first round in salt lake city her and casper jansen because they were too low they were below the series minimum ride height rule and then she just had a rough run in the final in in salt lake city at round three so I think around four, sorry for them. I think she will be fine. I, you know, to be on the pace of someone like Casper Janssen immediately is really impressive, really impressive. So she's already on that pace and uh, I'm expecting big things from Leah as the season goes on. Obviously, it'd be lovely to see her step up the categories when she's ready, but it has to be when she's ready. She did a bit of side-by-side -side last year. NRX next, you know, let, let's see where she heads next. She's doing so well with... Um, yeah, with her rally career as well. And obviously she's done some single seater racing. She hasn't made it a secret that she's interested in going circuit racing too. So where Leah will end up, I don't know. Um, but she's a fantastic driver uh, and she's a great ambassador for Nitro Cross. So the longer she's there with us, the better from as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, and, that, and you know, that's the thing I've said this entire year is Leah has every door open at this point. She has a foot in, in a door for rally. She has a foot in a door for rally cross. She has a foot in the door for extreme E. She has a foot in the door for circuit racing. She can do whatever she wishes at this point. She has foots in the door everywhere. So it's it's great. Yeah, she's just got to exploit those opportunities, you know, and, and, and decide which one she wants to focus on. So if I were in her position, I'd be trying as many different things as possible as well. You know, you want to maintain some focus on the things that you really want to do in the end. But why not try it all if you've got the opportunity to, to uh, you know, to, to get yourself in a position to have a, a great career. So, yeah, I'm, I'm stoked for her. 
Yeah, it's definitely been fun to see here. And then, like you say, Casper is a great driver. He's from Sweden. And, you know, to come over, it's like, it's it's great. And there are so many of those young drivers in Nitrocross that it's it's building the future of uh, Rallycross drivers because, you know, coming up through the World RX is one thing. You know, those tracks are, in terms compared to Nitrocross tracks, simple. If you can build yourself up on Nitrocross tracks, you could probably win in a, in a World or X track with somewhat ease. <laughs> they're, they're very different disciplines. I think the thing with, you know, Nitrocross tracks change quite a lot during the course of the weekend because we have such a higher percentage of dirt. And also our dirt is what I would call real dirt and it's very loose. Um, a lot of the dirt in World or X, because of the way the series is run, it's all, so our series is all time, sorry, it's all position based. So it's always about where you finish. So it doesn't matter if the track changes condition during the day because you're only racing the people that you're on track with at the time. Whereas the World and European Championship is based over a series of qualifying rounds where it comes down to time. So the track conditions need to be as as close as possible. I mean, the loose is often not that loose, the, the dirt side of things. So their pinpoint accuracy is absolutely incredible. And obviously someone like Christopherson, he came to Nitro and got a podium straight away, which which you would expect. Um, but uh, yeah, the, the both series are gonna are gonna produce some brilliant drivers, and yeah, I just I just want to see as many of them as possible competing together. Um, it, yeah, there's a lot of competition at the minute between the various series, between World, between Nitro, between Extreme. Yeah, they're all vying for drivers and, and manufacturers and sponsors in in a similar arena, um, which is why it's important to get the format and the show and everything as as right as you possibly can and, and appeal to the biggest demographic possible, whether that be fans, sponsors, manufacturers. Yeah, you need to, them to have eyes on your series. So um, we're all working very hard at Nitro Cross to, to hope that that's the series that as many people as possible choose. So I'm going to end off with a final question that I forgot I had in my head, and now I forgot it. No, you're right. Go on, think about it. Take a minute. We can always edit this out. Have a think about it. So, so I, I'm going to go with the joke I was going to put at the end, and then I'll, and then while uh, you're talking about it, I'll, I'll think of the question. Do, do you ever smell the intensity of events while you're at events? Do I want Sorry. Do you ever smell the intensity of events? While you're, at it? <laughs> you're referring to how Ridge, aren't you, and the uh, and, and the cars at the finish on Rally X? Yup. Brilliant. So yeah, bless him. So it, Hal is the he knows the most about rallycross of anyone I've ever met. He loves the sport through and through. He's a brilliant driver. He's a lovely bloke, and he's written two brilliant books as well. Uh, Kenneth Hansen, fourteen which is about the, the you know, Timmy and uh, Kevin's father, who has won 14 European Rallycross Championships, and uh, the OMSC book about all the different chassis built built to win. So, um, yeah, I'm sure it's built to win, whatever. It's a brilliant book um, with all the chassis numbers in. So I still get text messages off how now when I'm in America and he's not saying, can you just check these chassis for me, man? I just need to double-check these next chassis. So he's still, even though the book's finished, he's still tracking where the chassis end up so that he can write an update if he needs to yeah when i seen that yesterday i was like i was like this is perfect timing because now i'm just gonna make that joke with Andrew. <laughs> yeah yeah but how how will we he he, he we not as amused as i am about it but it, yeah it's very rally x nordic they're always putting stuff like that up so yeah it, it was we had a great series this year it's always a pleasure working with how really good fun so okay i'm gonna end you end you off with three questions that should be relatively quick to answer because i know you have to go soon what has been your favorite moment uh, commentating Rallycross or Rally? If you can pick one. 
<laughs> favorite moment to pick one is too hard, but favorite moments are nearly always when when the the chips are down and I really have to go. So when when I when I'm struggling to keep up because the action is so thick and fast is when I love my job the most. You know, when I've got to say a million things inside two corners, I absolutely love that. When a race is really close, uh, you know, uh, and then it's things like the season finales. When you crown a champion is always special. Nitro Cross champions, world champions, you know, interviewing Matthias Ekstrom when he won the series in 2016 and being the first person to do that, getting to call you know, Pastrana taking the series in 2021 for Nitro Cross. It's those, those moments are incredible because it's the, it's the sum of a year's work for a bunch of people. You know, everybody in the team, the driver, all of that, but also everybody on the series and you want to get it right. And you really feel the pressure, um, you know, like 2019 world championship. My God, I felt some pressure then when Hanson and Backer were equal on points on the front row and all of those moments where you feel the most pressure to do a good job are the best moments. They're, they're the most rewarding. And, and then apart from that, to be honest with you, it's the fun stuff in the background. You know, it's when you go and have a random beer somewhere with a load of random people and, and just go, what, 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 what is this? How have I ended up here at this RV with these people? It's good times. So I, I asked this question last year on, on Twitter. You responded to it. Um, who would you like to see join Nitro Cross? So, well, what would I have said? You'll have to tell me whether or not I'm close to it. Valentino Rossi is one I'd love to see. Um, he loves his rally. He did Rally New Zealand. He did Rally GB. He did Rally GB in a Michelin-coloured Peugeot 206 WLC car. So the guy can drive, can seriously drive. He's done the Monza Rally Show a ton of times in uh, M Sport, World Rally Cars and R5 cars and things. So I would love to see someone like Valentino come. And one of the reasons for that as well is I want to see more fans get eyes on this brilliant sport. So, you know, you 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 want to bring in, I want to bring in, if you could get hold of Rossi's fans and go, have a watch of this for a minute, I think they'll love it. And, and they might start watching because Rossi's in it initially, but what you hope is that they'll stay watching because they think it's a great series. So anytime we can attract someone from a different discipline, Connor Daly, Chris Meek, you know, those guys who come in from something that isn't quite Rallycross, Nitrocross, and we get them in to try it, I think you bring eyes in from a different thing. Kimi Raikkonen, he'd be another one I'd love to see come in as well. Kimi's done a ton of rallying. Not the, uh, not wouldn't be my favourite for an interview, but I suspect he'd be a bloody good laugh after the event at an RV as well. Uh, I'm just pulling up the answer here. So I'll yeah. Ask <laughs> yeah, yeah, whenever it was. <laughs> um, so I'll ask the final question. What has been your favourite place to visit for a rally cross or rally venue or some other thing you've commentated venue? What's been my favourite place to visit? That's so hard because you always have these great memories. I've I've actually really enjoyed. Well, I always enjoy Hollius just because it's a very special track. Despite the fact there's absolutely nothing there, you kind of enjoy different places for different things. Like I've always loved Utah because it was the first. It was the OG night track. So whenever you go back there, it feels special in the same way that going back to Hollius feels special. Um, I love doing Tour Riviere. Always enjoyed it on World because the track's in the city, so you can always go and have a laugh afterwards. But to go back there with Nitro and do an ice race in the winter, I'd never seen it in the in the winter. Uh, so it was great. You know, in the summer, it's shorts and T-shirts and everybody's outdoors. In the winter, it's absolutely bitter and the river's frozen. Yeah, where, where there were topless people riding around on jet skis in the summer, in the winter, you know, there's a, there's an oil tanker frozen into the side of the river. So... Um, I enjoyed going back there, but I, I say I've been so fortunate to, I never went traveling as a kid. I never went to university and lots of people do one or one or both of those things. And I've always said that motorsport was my university really, you know, my choice was to go and try to be a, I wanted to be a professional rally driver. And I think that being a, 
television commentator, I was going to say professional, but that might be wider than Mark. Um, being, you know, getting to work in the highest level of the sport, as I have done now for 10 years, it's 10 years this year, um, has been incredible. And to be afforded the opportunities to travel a lot of the world map, which is on the wall behind me here in my office, has, has been an incredible privilege. So I've ducked out the question quite nicely, Joe, but, uh, you know, it's it's a hell of a ride. I love it. And I, I hope that it continues for uh, as as long as everybody would like me to keep shouting at cars. <laughs> I, I, I think the day you, you stop doing commentary, which will hopefully be no time soon, it's going to be just kind of a weird moment of like, who is this guy commentating my Rallycross series? This doesn't <laughs> sound right. Where, where's Andrew? <laughs> oh mate thank you i appreciate that i really do you know i say I'm, I'm not ready to stop yet so let's hope it doesn't stop too soon you don't always get to decide do you so um it's uh but yeah i'll, I'll stick around as long as i wanted so, so to answer the final question to answer the last question of who you said you wanted to see a nitro cross last year like a year ago this time go on it was valentina rossi rossi <laughs> yes so I think that, that makes me right, Joe, on everything that I've looked back on today, which is pretty incredible because I, I, I have a memory like a goldfish, which is why I've always got stats folders in front of me, which I didn't actually have for today. I should have had my nitro one in front of me. I'm, I'm showing him. Joe can see me on the, his webcam. You can't on the uh, on the podcast. But, yeah, I always have folders full of statistics and things because I, I do. And the other thing is I do a bunch of different series, you know, and it is a case of, deliver delete move on to the next one so i yeah memory like a goldfish so i'm pretty stoked with how things have gone today thank you mate and thank you for having me on i really appreciate it thank you for listening to the into the dust podcast hosted by joe moore presented by belly up sports